Well, hello there, friends, and welcome to another episode of Can-Am Soup, a show where two friends have a conversation. Those two friends are Todd and Jeremy. My name's Todd. I'm Jeremy. And we're Can-Am Soup. How are you doing there, Todd? You know, I'm doing pretty good today. I'm finally getting over that surgery and feeling a lot better. Uh, The uh, implant seems to be doing what it should. Uh, at least a little bit, you know, I'll take uh, 25% improvement over zero improvement any day. Yeah, that's good. Uh, how you been doing? Busy. I know you've been working uh, mighty hard uh, for about a month. Yes. Uh, the the Christmas rush for my wife's Etsy shop. Uh, I always call it my wife's, but we both work on it together. Uh, it's been absolutely a gong show. Um, but we're done actually, well, no, we're not really done. We've got four packages to take today, uh, which is great. Cause I think last time I went and dropped packages off is 163 and it was like two days ago. So we were essentially, we're all done, but it's been six days a week, 14 to 16 hours every single day. It's been exhausting, but I tell you now that I'm, I'm coming out of it and that we're like, okay, it is weird having supper at like a normal time, like dinner. Like last night we went and got Indian takeout. And we ate supper at like 5.15 in the evening. <laughs> and it's like, I was in bed at 8.30 last night. You know, most nights as like, I've been working till 10.30 or 11. So I'm so glad this is done. It's It was a wonderful year. Like like 2020 uh, for us has been an incredible year. And so we're grateful for the opportunity and the chance. You know, uh, it's like I tell my kids the old saying, you got to make hay while the sun shines. And, you know, this little Etsy shop. Before the Christmas, you know, during the Christmas rush, it's like the land of eternal sunshine. So we basically have to work all the time, but uh, the kids are glad that we're all done. What's that? No, go ahead. No, the kids are glad that we're done. We're going to try and get get out to the ski hill. We've got our season ski passes for a hill up for one of the mountains up here. So hopefully we can get out for at least one day before Christmas. And then I think after Christmas, we're going to... Well, we're going to try and get skiing at least once a week for the rest of the season, as long as they keep the hills open. Pretty much everything's been locked down, but the ski hills are still open. You're just not allowed to go inside. <laughs> so you're going to be cold all day long. You know, uh, something, that that short intro you just gave about the your wife's Etsy business, I've got three things now I want to talk about. It's crazy. You just, like, lit three fuses in my mind that, Oh my, oh my God, that's really interesting to me. So. What are they? Uh, you said you had Indian takeout last night. What it, What is your favorite thing uh, when you go get Indian? Um, I, I, you know, without the, the, the things in front of me, like, I mean, obviously everybody likes, um, you know, uh, butter chicken. Um, we get, we, we have this place, it's called the Saffron Bistro and I'm telling you, the small town of Strathmore, I think we're like 13,000 people, maybe 15 and something like that. Um, not known for its fine dining. You know, there's not a lot of really good restaurants. But and my wife and I would typically go into the city. Like we'll go downtown Calgary and, you know, go get some good food. And we found this place. It's expensive. Like I think our bill last night was 136 bucks for our family to do takeout. So it's not cheap. But the the flavor is there. It is unbelievably delicious. Uh, like I love their coconut rice, and I don't know what type of rice it is, but it's 
it's it's really odd. You know, it's not like traditionally just like Japanese or Chinese rice shaped. It's it's kind of like fluffy and it almost has like texture to it. I don't know, but it's it was incredible. Um, it so, is it jasmine rice? No, they just call it coconut Jamie rice. Lemon? Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. No, I mean so I, the actual rice itself, the rice kernel. Oh, it could be. It could be. Here, look at I've got our order yeah. here. So we ordered last night. We had garlic naan bread, coconut rice, bunan beef. Okra masala, which is good. Onion bhaji, which is kind of like um, is like a kind of like a latka but with onions. And then chicken labadar, butter chicken, and then some samosas. That was so good. I like the chicken tikka masala. Yes, we get that sometimes. We didn't do it last night, but and they this this company they actually just had uh, the last time we checked their menu online. You, you can do online ordering, but they have it now, and it works so good. You just click what you want, press what time you want to pick it up, say put your payment information there, done, drove there, and it's sitting on the counter ready to go. I was like, man, this is cool. This is not what, what typically happens in Strathmore. <laughs> the last time we went to a – and didn't my wife doesn't like uh, Indian food very much at all, so I get it rarely. And the last time we went, uh, I ordered, you know, the – the garlic naan bread, chicken tikka masala, a rice dish. It's a flavored rice, kind of like coconut rice, but it's not. Uh, it's flavored a different way. And so, something else, I can't remember what it was. I mean, it came, and their uh, garlic naan bread is round and flat, right, with garlic butter smeared all over it. Mm-hmm. And I took one of those. I put rice down the middle, chicken tikka masala on it, folded it up and ate it like a taco. <laughs> And uh, the owner of the store was there, and he came over, and he he's like, uh, you know, explaining to me that's not how you're supposed to eat it, but that looks very interesting. And he, he's like, do you mind? And he's, we wound up getting our meal free because he sat down and he had one. Yeah. You know, I made him one and gave it to him off of our food, and uh, he was like, oh, my God. This is, you know, a whole new, you know, level of cool. You know, he was just amazed. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, yeah, you know, uh, Indian taco. Yeah. And, <laughs> Food and, hack. Uh, it, and then the next, uh, uh, my wife went shopping with one of her friends a couple months later uh, over when we were living in Maryland. And she went over to Virginia and went shopping. She was gone all day. She didn't even tell me, but she stopped by a restaurant she liked, got takeout, and then stopped by the Indian place and got takeout for me and came home. She's like, you know what? That, he remembered me, and this was free. I'm like, oh, really? I'm going back every night. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And then the, about two weeks later, they closed. Ugh. Uh, but what we found out later was that family was opening a restaurant for a while, make a ton of money, close it, go to another part of that town or a new town, open it, because your restaurant makes a lot of money at first. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And what they were doing is leaving a wake of uh, unpaid leases and lawsuits behind them. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's crazy. Uh, But this food was great. So what was the second thing? I'm sorry? So you had the... uh, that intro, the first thing was what type of Indian Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
skiing. Yeah. I watch, uh, every once in a while, I watch a YouTuber, Wrangler Star, and he just got a snow bike. Did he? Where the front end is an enduro and the back end is a snow machine. Oh, like a timber sled type of thing? So oh, they're they're new and they're uh handmade by some dude. It has a ski uh the front the one of the front skis off of a snow machine yep. under the enduro front end and they just take the back end off the enduro and adapt on the uh uh snowmobile rear end. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh a carbon fiber ski up front. And you ride it like you do a motorcycle. Yeah, yep. Or an enduro, but yeah, up here we call those a timber sled. So oh, it's not okay. a, it's not a snowmobile. It's not a, you, and you can buy kits. Uh, typically, they say you need like at least a if it's a four stroke, you want a four fifty or, or better yeah. to power it because obviously it takes a lot more power to run that track than a than a wheel. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I know they're you know I had some friends that had some of them and they're kind of cool. I never got to ride them. Um, here, snowmobiling is pretty popular. I mean, we're. Uh, from where I live, I'm like three hours from some of the greatest snowmobiling on earth, like up near Revelstoke and and some of these mm-hmm. places. In three hours, I can have six foot deep powder all year long, you know. Yep. Well, not all year long, but all winter long. Um, and, and so these things, they're trying to make it into the market here. Uh, but I think they're more popular in like forested places. Like I was thinking like places kind of like, um, you know, Quebec or like Maine places where they still get snow, but it's more treed, you know what I mean? So kind of more like trail riding. Cause uh, up here where people snowmobile, it's the mountains, like it's above the tree line. You know, you're, I don't know how high somebody's like 12, 13,000 feet. Um, but it's just pure mountains. Like these guys ride to the very top of the mountains and then, you know, park on top and have lunch on top of the Rocky mountains. And some of these, these peaks you can get to, you're on top of everything, right? Like you're there and every other mountain peak is below you. And then they go back down. But I know those timber sleds don't do well in that, that extreme snowmobile stuff. But then it's it's really interesting combinations. I, I never knew Wrangler Star got one. That'd be kind of cool. I should check that out. He just did. Yeah. Uh, last week. He's a big toy guy. Um, that guy must make a fortune because the, some of the toys he gets, like this new bike is handmade by some dude. Uh, hand makes them one at a time. Yeah. And I went and looked, and oh my lord, I can't even afford to look on his web page, much less buy something. Yeah, but, yeah, well, yeah, because there's uh, no manufacturers. But I learned when I lived in, yet. yeah, I I learned when I lived in uh, Montana in the early '90s that I shouldn't be allowed to snowmobile because I will die. Because <laughs> I, the first snowmobile I ever rode was a friend of mine. He just bought it. Uh, it was the top of the top of the top of the line, but it was a racing uh, snowmobile. Yeah. It was, I think, an 1800cc or, yeah, an 1800 engine supercharged. Yeah. It'd do over 150 miles an hour. Wow. And I was young and stupid and probably, no, I know I, I, uh, I wasn't going to look down to see how fast I was going, but I know that it wasn't going any faster. I had maxed it out. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know they're. When I came back and gave it back to him, he's like, you're not allowed to ride this anymore. You're going to die. Yeah. 
And I don't care about you, but you're you're gonna you know ruin my snowmobile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're powerful. Um, my dad was it. It was in 1999. He went and bought the 2000 model year Polaris uh, SKS Snow King Supreme. So they're kind of we call them ditch bangers here because they don't have real thick paddles. They don't have really long tracks. Uh, I think his tracks are like 136 inch, 118 inch or something. And if you're going to go to the mountains with a big snow, you need like a 154 inch track or something, 167, something really long with like two, at least two inch paddles, right? A lot of guys will run three inch paddles. Um, but I remember my dad got these and then we jetted them. They're still carbureted. It's a high performance twin cylinders, 700 CC two stroke. And, uh, I don't his top out around 130 miles an hour, um, but yeah, I know there it's unbelievable. And how fast, you know, with just a centrifugal clutch, how fast they get up to those speeds. Uh, my favorite thing to do would be like, we go to the number the trans Canada highway, my dad's house about five kilometers from the trans Canada highway, uh, which is a highway that goes from one end of the country to the other, you know, east, west. And, um, I pass cars that are doing highway speed, which is 110, roughly around 60, maybe 65 miles an hour. And, uh, man, so you can pass them like they're stopped. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm doing like 150, oh, yeah. 160 kilometers an hour in the ditch. And these people are on their way to Christmas vacation. They got all the kids loaded up in the minivan. And then you just go, and they just look at you. It's so fun. But yeah, man, it's. I mean, they may not, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'll, I'll say, let's pretend for a moment that 100, 130, 150 miles an hour isn't that fast. But if it gets to 130 miles an hour in 10 seconds, holy moly, take the skin off your face. And some of those uh, snow machines do it, and it's insane. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they're fantastic. They're fun. They're a blast. And, and I hope the government isn't listening because then they'll just regulate those uh, because they're fun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it's, you know what the weird thing is in Canada, um, snowmobiles are exempt. Like for some reason you're allowed to, you're allowed to travel around like in the ditches. Like I had a motorcycle that was actually plated, registered, and I had a license plate as an off-road plate so that, you know, there's, there's certain parts of crown land that there's all these trails and forestry logging roads and stuff. And so you can go ride your motorbike there, but you actually have to have a plate on it, um, and that way they know it's insured and stuff like that. I was riding my motorbike that was plated in the ditch in the summertime and a cop pulled me over and he didn't give me a ticket, but he gave me a warning saying these, you know, two wheeled view, you're not allowed to do this in the ditches. Uh, but you go in a snowmobile and they don't care at all. Like, you know, we ride snowmobiles. We've got a town, the closest town to where my parents is, is like, I don't know, maybe 10 miles, eight, 10 miles away. We'd ride in the ditches. We would actually get gas at the gas pumps. Cause I mean, there's snow all over the ground and then we'd pull up in front of the bar and you know, we'd get a steak sandwich and a beer and the cops would come in the restaurant and say, Hey, how's the sledding guys? We're like, good. And didn't care. It's so weird. Like you, you can, you will not get in trouble riding a snowmobile in the ditch anywhere around, around where I live, but a, a motorbike, boom, they'll pull you over. It's really strange, but it's fun. It, it, snowmobiles a lot of fun. And that's, uh, you know, that's what we do every Christmas Eve when we go to my parents for Christmas is we always go snowmobiling, take the kids out. But, um, <laughs> with all the lockdowns we have here now, my, they've, they've canceled Christmas. So maybe we'll just go, my parents aren't going to be home. They're not coming back, back to Canada for Christmas. So maybe we'll just, uh, we'll go out there and we'll just do it ourselves. Or maybe I'll bring their snowmobiles out to our piece of land here and rip around. 
And then what was the third part? Yeah, I, it just doesn't snow very much here, so you know, I'll, I'll never get that itch again. But what we do have around here, a lot of four-wheelers and uh, side-by-sides. Yeah. Yeah, well, you've got a, you have one of those? I have two. I have a Kawasaki Mule that I use just working around the house. Yeah. And then we have, a, my wife got a, a Kawasaki Terex. Uh, I think I got to do, uh, I got to get new tires for it because it has mud tires on it right now. Oh, okay. But uh, that thing will outright fly. Oh, I bet. Yeah, they got such amazing suspension on those nowadays too, hey? Oh, yeah, the from our road, dead ends at a, uh old cemetery. And from our house down to the end of the cemetery, it's a couple miles. And it's horrendous. It's got foot-deep potholes and ruts all the way across the road. Yep. And I can do flat out on in her uh, terrace, and I don't feel any bumps. Wow. It's just crazy. That's cool. Yeah, that's fun stuff. You know, I can see, it seems there's a lot of people that they get into it. They really, unless, especially if they live in town, like if they live in a city and they don't have a little piece of land of their own to ride around on, like I've had friends that will buy them and man, they get into it. You know, they make sure when they buy their RV, it's got the little garage at the back and like every weekend they're off to, to the mountains or out to the forestry roads to rip around. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I got to get the mud tires off of it because mud tires on like gravel or sand or, you know, hard packed dirt. Oh, yeah. It just vibrates to you. Yeah. That's funny. And what was the third part that you had a uh, question about? Oh, no, it was just a joke that uh, popped into my head about the, uh, how you were talking about the Etsy business. And you're, you're like, well, you know, I keep calling it my wife's Etsy business, but we both work it. And I was just thinking, you know, as long as you and I have talked about it, you know, on podcast and off, uh, I, it's it's so funny because when there's you're talking about all the hard work, it's my wife's Etsy. <laughs> That's true. But when you talk, when you're talking, you know, pridefully about the blessing of success you've had with it, then it's my wife's Etsy business. So you know, it goes from. Ugh, hers when it's hard work to hey we're doing great you know <laughs> yeah. it's just funny because that's the way we all are yeah hilarious was the first time like <laughs> i've even referred to as uh, as ours was this year because it was always hers uh but then when we look at it like during the I, during the year she does most all of it like um you know typically we'll get maybe in a week she'll get 10 to 20 orders and so i can process that much wood for her uh, the way it works i do all the wood processing so i get the lumber i cut it i machine it i sand it blah 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 i stain it and then once it's stained and dried then it goes downstairs and she does all the painting and all the rest of it and um you know during during the normal course of the year i can you know i take one day one to two days and process wood for her and that'll last her for like 3 to 4 weeks so I'm really not involved normally. It's like, okay, that's yours. Uh, but during these busy times, I mean, it's like all day long, all I'm doing is is wood. Like I do three or four trips to the lumber yard, uh, 40 12-foot boards every trip. And then, um, you know, like I was, I was telling you earlier, I think in the last 30 days, we got out like 2,473 orders, I think it was. I was averaging like 90-some <laughs> orders a day. Um 
and and so this was the first time I was like, you know what, this is actually like, I'm working 16 hours a day. You're working 16 hours a day. Uh, this Etsy rush is like our business, but. And then there's some other stuff that I don't do. Like she'll do like custom decals for people. Um, you know, you can, uh, it's like a silhouette of all different types of sports, basketball, football, hockey, soccer, baseball. And then, you know, people could customize their kid's name on the back. So it's like a silhouette you'd put in the back of your vehicle or something like that. Obviously I do nothing with that. Uh, but I guess the big hand though, uh, the work during the Christmas rush, it's ours. We do the same amount, but the rest of the year it's her Etsy shop, <laughs> I guess. Oh, good to have it done, man. It's good to have it done. So, I got a question for you. You picked up sure. a tr- you picked up a, a a dump truck. Yeah, it's a 2003 Ford F350 with a dump bed on it. Yeah, it used to be used by a local municipality as like when they were doing uh, asphalt repair. Yep. I say that not because I used to work there, but. I look, went and looked at the truck, and this guy has asphalt stuck all over it. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just assuming that's what yeah. they used it for. Yeah. So, but, I, why do you um, need Yeah, that? right now it's sitting at the Ford dealer getting fixed because oh, okay. uh, I knew when I bought it that it was, uh, had suspected transmission problems, and they were telling me, oh, yeah, the, you know, the municipality mechanic thinks it's just uh, the fluid and filters. You know, transmission filters on a diesel, they get clogged. It doesn't work. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's what everybody says. I'm going to go find out what it really is. And so I took it to a, the local Ford dealership to, so they could do at least uh, good diagnostics on it. Yep. And uh, the engine has the lower half is perfect, great compression, no problems. The transmission actually has no problems whatsoever. Uh, the uh, having no power on start was the fact that all of the injectors are bad. Oh wow! Both the high and low pressure uh, fuel filters probably haven't been changed since two thousand three. Um, hmm. So they, in fact, they opened one up and he said it looks solid. There's no filter anywhere. It's just solid. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, oh, my God. So they're, they're fixing a couple of minor things, the injectors, uh, fuel filters, and then one of one of the uh, uh, turbos shelled out. So that has to be changed. Oh, wow. So I'm letting them do that work. Yep. That way it's guaranteed and warranted. It has some other minor issues like a couple of lights, a couple of light lenses that are broken uh, that I'm going to fix. So it's roadworthy. Uh, there's uh, some repairs that had to be done to the dump bed itself, the structure, you know, the holes in the steel yeah, that yeah. I can take care of. Yeah. Uh, but the reason I got this thing is it was only $2,700 and it's got a lot of good miles left in it. Uh, and I need something that'll tow equipment. You know, because I have my tractor. Uh, I need to look for a trailer, too, but I want to get a truck first. So. Yeah, yeah. That way I have something to go get the trailer with. Okay, that's what I was wondering. It's like, so why, why, like, I was just curious, like, you got a big project. Why do you actually need a dump? But that it's so handy, though, right? Like, It's not necessarily that I needed a dump bed. It's the truck it's on that I needed Yeah. Uh, as a, you know, farm truck. Yeah. 
But now that I have a dump bed, I can actually go get my own topsoil and mm-hmm. gravel to redo my driveway, you know. Oh, yeah, that's stuff. huge. Yeah. So because if I go get the gravel, it's $200 a load. If you hire somebody to bring it in, it's five $600 a load. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, got now, I may have to make three trips where they only make one. I get it for a third the cost. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I have a neighbor who has a dump truck, like a five ton, kind of like that one that Andrew Camerata has or whatever. And uh, what does he charge me a load from from town? I don't know if his is a five ton that he carries or ten tons at a time. I forget, but I think he charged me fifty bucks a load, so that's pretty cheap. And then, uh, you know, I just pay whatever the gravel is. I'll go pay for, I'll go pay ahead for two loads and I give him a hundred bucks and he just drives up and down my driveway and drops it. And then I get the Bobcat and level it out. But having your own truck would be handy. You know, I got a, I got an old Chevy truck and it's beat up. I got it for my my dad for a buck. Actually, my kids, my kids bought it for me (laughs) because my dad was getting rid of it. He said, give me a dollar for it for insurance purposes. And then, uh, and so my kids each gave him a quarter and they're all excited. They bought me a truck, but. You know, it's kind of nice having a beater truck because if I, I've gone to get gravel before and it's like, yep, just take your bucket, load it right into the box. I don't care. You know, whereas if I had a, we were looking at getting something a couple years old, you know, like a 2018 or 2017, but man, you know, I'd be worried about scratching it and stuff. Right. And my truck now I'm like, I don't care. Just let her rip, you know, but the only bummer is when I fill it up, I've got to use the old shovel to get it out of there. <laughs> but I could see a dump truck being handy. That's cool. And then, uh, what else have you been up to? Like, uh, been buying any other tools or toys or anything like that? Uh, in fact, I was looking on, uh, Craigslist recently and for, a a surly fat tire bike, you know, mm-hmm. because somebody got me interested in, uh, surly bikes. Mm-hmm. Don't know who that could be. Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I didn't cast a wide enough net, but my wife was sitting next to me and she's like, Oh, what about this one? And she found a surly Krampus over in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, uh, I actually bought it earlier this week. And, uh, my wife was actually going to Knoxville today. Cause she wanted to get out of the house. Uh, so she volunteered to go get it. Oh, right on. Yeah, no. So, uh, now I am, cautiously optimistic about this bike because uh we went a little into the past in craigslist and a surly krampus that looks suspiciously just like the one i bought Mm -hmm. um and the picture looks suspiciously like the exact same picture just zoomed in Mm -hmm. uh for the one I bought, sold two weeks earlier for $1,900 U.S. Hmm. And then there's fine print in the ad that says the seat, the pedals, and the bars don't go with it. That stuff's all cheap, though. And then, well, then the one I bought looks exactly like the one that was sold for $1,900. I bought mine for 850 and the we offered them 800 in the it is sitting in a bike shop in Knoxville. And they said, Oh no, we had to do a little bit of work to it because X, Y, and Z. So we need eight fifty out of it. Yeah. And, uh, so you put those two things together and I'm thinking the bike shop bought it, put a new seat, 
bars and pedals and just use the old pictures. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about this bike. But as long as the Surly frame, that's the important thing and the front end. Mm-hmm. And the wheels. Right. I mean, I'm, at, I'm just, you know, as long as it's a real Surly frame and a real Surly fork, you know, everything else is, you know, Legos. Yeah. No, I think like that's a good price. That's a really good price. And then I guess for anybody listening, the Surly Krampus is, um, it's a fat, no, it's, they call it like a mid fat or almost fat. Um, so it's a 29er. So the, the wheels are 29 inch wheels, but the frame has clearance and it actually comes from the factory with a 29 by three inch tire. And so typically they say a fat bike start at four inches. Um, but then again, you have, you know, and it, the, the important thing about thinking about bicycles and fat bikes and this stuff is the footprint that the tire leaves. And so most fat bikes are 26 by four or 26 by five inches wide. Um, and so they have a wide footprint. When you get into a 29er, you obviously, you know, cause that radius is bigger. You have a longer footprint and then you still have the advantage of like a three inch wide tire is a pretty darn wide tire, right? Plus it's actually longer. If you had a, a 26 by three inch or a 29 by three, the 29 by three has a longer footprint. So you actually have more traction than a 26 by three. And so that's why they say these, um, you know, the people that don't necessarily need the full on fat, like if you're not riding through a lot of deep snow or a lot of sand or like mud, they say the, the mid fats are great ways to go. Cause you still get all that advantage and all that traction. Um, but it's a little bit more efficient cause you know, the more, the more surface area, your tire contacts, the more friction, the more resistance to rolling. And, and so you know, they're a little bit more efficient. You can go quicker. You can go longer than just actual fat bikes, but that's cool, man. I'm excited for you. We're gonna have to start kitting it out and like making little tweaks and modifications and stuff here and there. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> can't wait to get, I used to ride when I was younger and I've always missed it. Uh, and now that we live out here in the middle of nowhere, gravel roads, you know, and I need to get, uh, back in this at least some sort of exercise i think that'd be great yeah and the nice thing about it is that you know like i you know i always used to say i do not ride bicycles for exercise right because in my mind i always had this thing that if i'm going to exercise i better be running i better be huffing and puffing and sweat better be dripping off my face but at the same time like if you just go for a nice leisurely ride for an hour you know, that's getting your heart rate up there. You're breathing fresh air and it's, it, no matter what you say, it is better for you than not doing it, you know? So I'm starting to change my perspective a little bit. It's kind of like, you know what? I love riding bikes, but I, I don't go fast because I'm like, I, I want to enjoy this. I want to enjoy seeing things, you know, it's faster than walking. And so you can actually, you can actually go to a destination and be like, yeah, it's feasible to ride my bike into town and get a coffee. You know, but at the same time, you're going so much slower than you're driving. So you get to witness your environment and you get to see everything. And um, I don't know. I, you know, I always credit every famous saying to Mark Twain and it's not true. There was a famous person, author, somebody, it might've been Mark Twain, but they said, if you want to understand the lay of the land, you, you can only learn it on a bicycle. And it's true. Like when you're walking, you get a vague sense of ups and downs. Uh, when you're in a vehicle doesn't matter, right? If it's extremely, yeah, I'm going up a steep hill or I'm going down a steep hill. But when you're in a bicycle and, and the terrain in front of you looks totally flat, 
when you start riding it, you very quickly figure out whether you're going up or down. And it's, it's totally Absolutely. weird. Yeah. You know, you know what the lay of the land is a hundred times more clearly than if you were walking or if you were driving. It's a great, great way to travel the world. I love bicycles. Love them. That's exciting. Yeah. And if you have, uh, you know, getting your heart rate up and sweating and all that is good for your cardio. Mm-hmm. But if you have like me with muscle problem or joint pain, blood flow is Yes. Very important. Getting the blood to that area. Uh, and biking is awesome for like lower back. As long as you have the right seat and the right posture, uh, you know, it gets, you're, you're literally moving that part of your body and you're getting blood flow through that area to your legs and that lower back and your hips and pelvis and all that. So, yeah, no, I never uh, thought of, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, us gentlemen have to have the right kind of seat or we're going to, you know, risk uh, testicular problems. That's what they say. I'm not like sure. That, but I think that's if you're spending like hours in the, I don't know. Personally, I don't think I ride enough to worry about that. No, it, uh-huh. it, you have to be a, a, a hardcore kind of rider. Yeah. There's some guys uh, that ride. I like, don't want to be that one in a million guy either, but. That's true. You no, know, the right, the right seat is important anyway, because um, any pain in that area is bad pain. So. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and a, a truly, it doesn't matter what you do. The first little bit biking, it your it hurts. <laughs> like oh you, yeah, your taint is sore. <laughs> but um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. I see what saddles on there. Um, you know, I'm a big fan, and this is I like the Brook saddles. Um, the one caveat to them and it, it kind of sucks like i so i have a couple of brooks b17 which are very traditional they're leather saddles uh once they're broken in they are unbelievable like like it's like a good pair of work boots or you know nice leather gloves they kind of form themselves to your anatomy and uh, but the bummer is it takes like 500 miles to break these saddles in and that's all. When you're just getting into cycling and riding, man, 500 miles is a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and during those 500 miles, it doesn't necessarily feel that great. Like I'm like, there's there's not a lot of cushion. They're they're fairly, you know, they're drum tight. You know, it's a piece of leather stretched over a frame, so it's not like it's got cushion like other saddles. But man, once you get there, like I have, I have a B17 that my wife, I got it for Christmas. Uh, I want to say like 2004. And basically that one just goes between whichever bike I'm riding the most at the time. So it's not dedicated to one bike. It's like, you know, in the winter time it's going actually just yesterday, I put it onto my new fat bike because that's what I plan on spending the most time on for these next several months. So that saddle, man, doesn't matter which bike it's on. It's just like, oh, it feels so good. But it is important. And, uh, I know, uh, I wasn't worried about getting, a. Surly because the uh, even the the bike shop that had it uh, they I don't know why but he said uh, they don't sell to their employees because really? then it looks bad. I'm like, well, that's stupid. But uh, he's like, yeah, we can't we can't ever get a surly, and then when we do, it's gone. You know? Yeah. Because apparently I found it right when it was there and bought it, you know, the minute they opened the next day uh, over the phone. So 
Yeah, no, that was and a I'm good not, deal. You know, if I get it and somehow I, you know, I can't ride anymore or I don't like it, I can easily get my money back out of a Surly. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially a Krampus because they're so rare. Yeah. Yeah, and there there's a lot of people looking for them, right? Like they're not uh, they're, you know that that Krampus. You can set it up quite minimalistic. It's never going to be a lightweight bike because it's steel, but it's always going to be comfortable because it's steel. But you can, you know, guys use those for like performance kind of oriented trail rippers. And then people set those up for like expeditions where they're going to spend like, you know, five months cycling all over the United States. You know, it's, it's got enough spots to bolt racks and, and bottle cages and all these different things so that you can set up luggage to tour on it. Or you can take all that stuff off and you got a, a fairly nimble, like nice geometry to, to do some fairly quick single track ripping around, you know, they're sweet bikes. Very similar to my Karate Monkey. It just has more clearance. But yeah, I know that's it. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. Yeah, the uh, I am too. And, and if you're riding gravel roads or any kind of, you know, more solid surface that has a lot of little bumps on it, you want a heavier bike. A light bike is just going to bounce all over the place. Yeah, yeah. You know, a good heavy steel bike is just going to hold its own a little bit more on the gravel road and don't won't vibrate you to death. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. Um, you know, speaking of that sore taint, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like some people don't understand, like Surly, uh, for the people listening, if they don't know about them, uh, they're weird. First of all, I love them because it, you know, I am a surly person, <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's actually like my name on a bicycle. Um, but they only use 4130 Carboli steel tubing. And the nice thing with that, like a lot of modern cyclists don't understand it, but you know, aluminum frames are horrible because aluminum is incredibly rigid. It's not malleable at all, right? If aluminum starts to bend, its tendency is going to just fracture very quickly. Whereas steel can get back and forth and back and forth. It's way more malleable and ductile. And so the frames flex. And when you're, even if you've got like rough asphalt or if you're on, on concrete or something, you know, it's real buzzy, that frame is flexing all the time and absorbs vibration. And typically for a, a, a not expensive performance bike, air quote performance, it's going to be an aluminum frame. And those are terrible because they're so rigid. You know, the, the vibration from the road just gets transferred to your hands, to your feet, to your, your nether regions. And if you want to spend more money, you can go with carbon fiber. And that actually does a good job at providing a much smoother ride because it's actually fabric, right? And there's, there's all these different layers and it actually absorbs vibration, but then you're paying for it. And then the one downside with the carbon fiber is uh, they're getting better now, but they're still fairly, you, you know, if you have a bad crash on a, on a bicycle and you have got a carbon frame, you need to make sure that thing is fully gone over by a professional before you can ride again. Because uh, one hairline fracture and that frame's garbage, right? Um, where steel, I mean, you can have a, you can, you can get hit by a car, get your steel frame bent. You take it into a bike shop, they'll straighten it out. They could actually cut apart, bend it back, weld it together. Uh, oh, it's just the versatility of a steel frame is just so great that it's, I think it's starting to get more popular now. Um, but a lot of people now with the modern cycling, they look at you and like, why on earth would you spend money on a steel bicycle? They just, they don't understand it. You have to ride steel to really get what it's about. Well, having a lot of experience with, uh, aluminum and stress from the aviation industry, 
uh, with bikes, I see a lot of, uh, if you look over the past, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years, how aluminum bikes have uh, evolved. You, you know, they started off with tiny tubing, super light bike, pick it up with one finger, but they snap all the time mm-hmm. because of stresses, like you said. So now over the last 10, 20, 30 years, they've evolved to these weird uh, tube shapes yeah. because they need more aluminum, yeah. right? And now you have, now you're riding either, uh, you know, uh, sci-fi looking bikes or old, uh, uh, old timey style looking bikes. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I just want a tube looking bike. Like, you know, the ones I grew up with and aluminum cannot do it. No. Nope. Uh, and, uh, I was just looking at, a. Uh, oh, what is it called? Uh, uh, Arrowdale or something? It's a just super high end bike. Cannondale? Uh, thousands of dollars and ugly. It's just ugly. Yeah. I'm like, I couldn't ride that just because it's ugly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, just give me a good steel frame and it's not going to be like so heavy you can't pick it up. Come on, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you needed such a light bike that, cause you can't push the pedal down, re-gear your steel bike. Yeah. Add a gear. Well, you know, it's for racing. Add the little, add the little chicken leg gears. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, those guys that get into super high end racing. I mean, that's where it makes a difference. I think, um, we used to have a bike shop in Calgary called Campioni and, um, they had one here, one in Vancouver. And uh, it was funny because it was a dad started the shop and they've been around for a long time. And then he gave it to his son. His son kind of ran into the ground. But I loved it when it was open because as soon as you walked in, they would make you a cappuccino. They actually like roasted their own beans there. It was that real kind of boutique store. And I remember they were building this bike up for this guy and it was finished. And it was 17,000 bucks and it weighed 12 pounds. And I remember picking this thing up with my pinky. I'm like, holy crap, this is insane. Like just, it was some really really illustrious handmade titanium frame. Uh, his chain was all titanium and the side plates of the chain were actually like laser cut out. So it wasn't a solid plate of titanium. It actually had a little, little square hole in the center of it. Hollow pin tubes in the chain is just like 12 pounds for a bicycle. I think it was like a 12 speed or something like that, but it was just incredible, you know, but then that guy races, like he's a, he's a, he's a pro-am racer. He's not fully making a lot of money doing it yet, but he's working at getting a better sponsorship deal and stuff. But yeah, for that, I think it makes a difference. But for the average person, I don't know. You know, it's funny because I just got a, a fat bike too, right? Like an actual fat, fat bike. And um, when I was looking into it, the, the description the guy had, you know, he says you have to pedal twice as hard to go half as fast, <laughs> you know, but you're going to have three times more fun. <laughs> And they, and they say like, for an exercise perspective, get a heavy bike, <laughs> right? You know, oh, I mean, absolutely. oh, I tell you, so the bike that I got is also Surly and this is the, the third Surly that I currently own. And I've owned, I don't know, I think three other Surleys, two other Surleys, but uh, I got a Surly Moonlander and <laughs> the wheels on it are the, they're 26 by 4.7 inches wide. I don't know. I don't have like a, a big fish scale or a deer scale, but I want to get one because I want to know. I have a notion this bike might be pushing 30 pounds or more. <laughs> it's so freaking <laughs> heavy, man. It's, but uh, I was taking it yesterday. Like uh, I finally put, 
you know, some better handlebars on it. And I did a little bit of video. It's not up yet, but I put my B17 onto it, kind of tweak stuff, put some better pedals on everything for my parts bin. And I took it out for a ride. And when I look at my tracks going out through the yard, like in the, we maybe like two inches of snow right now on the grass. So it's not, anybody could ride through that. But it looks like, it looks like a car with just one set of wheels was driving on my field. It's such a wide track. It's ridiculous. I should text you. I'm going to text you a picture of it, Todd. I'll put my foot in these tire tracks and I'll send you a picture. Okay. That's crazy. But see, and it's wild. So uh, uh, when I got it, I think a couple of days later, I've literally only ridden it for like 15 or 20 minutes so far uh, just because we've been so busy. But I went for a ride down to the end of the road with my son and he was on his other, on his Surly, which is a Surly cross check. And then I let him try this one. It's crazy because we'll ride on the gravel and I can just veer into the ditch and go. And you can't really tell. Like it's all like summer grass that would be about, you know, two, three feet tall you know, packed down with snow and you just ride through it. Like it's like nothing. And my son was riding it and I didn't notice it, but there's a couple of trees that had fallen down in the ditch and they, there's not big, but maybe like eight inch diameter. And he just rolled right over them. Like they weren't there. And so I was like, how'd you do that? And he goes, it's just, you can't even tell. And so then I got on and I did it. It's crazy. And I think you're going to find the same thing with the Krampus is that you, you take the tire pressure down nice and low. You know, I think the Krampus, you're probably going to want to run like for low pressure, maybe like 10 to 12 PSI. Oh, you go over anything like a pothole and it's just bloop, bloop, especially with the 26 because you've got that big diameter, right? Oh man, there's so much fun. I can't wait for you to get on it. You're going to have to, you're going to get it today, right? Yes. Yeah. You got to tell me, you got to text me how you like it this evening. Oh, I will. And then if you have any questions, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm not an expert, but I have spent a lot of money and a lot of time on, on setting up bicycles, but, uh, you know, get yourself. Yeah. I was going to ask you. Um, if you know a good place, uh, online that has, you know, accessories or accessorizing ideas for the Krampus, just shoot me a link. Yeah. Yeah. I, I use Jensen USA. It's the best. Jensen USA. Yep. I don't know where they are in the States. They're out of the States somewhere, obviously. Um, they have free shipping to Canada if it's like over, I don't know what it is, 7,500 bucks or something like that. So I, I use them a lot, but they sell a lot of Surly stuff. And, uh, you know, it's up to the kind of riding you want, but the, the way I kind of look at it for my, you know, recreational lollygagging is that I want to weigh, I always think my bikes should be able to carry a method to brew coffee out and outside or cook a small meal, right? So instead of backpacking, it's like bike packing, you know, I just want to go for a little ride. You know, my boys and I will ride for like an hour down some gravel and then we'll find a ditch that's, you know, they got a place where you can set up or sometimes these ditches are like blown over snow one year we kind of carved out a little thing and carved out some seats and then we get out our little stove, we make some coffee and you just sit out there, you know, and it, it's quiet and then you ride back and it's, it's this little micro adventure and you're out in the wilderness and you're making coffee, you get all that kind of fun stuff about camping and, and air quotes, roughing it. But, oh, yeah, it's it's an hour and a half of my day. You know, it's so fun. I just love that. And so I always think you need a, a decent rack, you know, a way to carry stuff that's not on a... It depends. I mean, I personally am not a fan of the backpack. I did the backpack for years and years and years, but I don't know. It, it's nice to not have a backpack on and not have that sweaty back as soon as you sit down and take a break. And uh, especially when you have a bike like your Karampus, man, you got places you can put all kinds of stuff on, right? A uh, very versatile bicycle. So yeah, we'll get that set up for you, Todd. It's going to be sweet. 
Yep. My wife was asking the, because uh, <clears throat> the store forgot to send us a receipt right at first, uh, just because, you know, one guy busy. Yeah. And uh, so we called back. Oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. I'll text it right now. Uh, she's like, oh, by the way, do you have a, uh, the dog basket for the front of it? Because apparently they make a basket specifically to carry animals. Oh, okay. And uh, he's like, no, we don't carry it, but we can order it. You know, it doesn't sell, uh, you know, enough to, you know, carry one in the store. Yeah. And I'm like, I i don't think Benny would like that, but maybe he would. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we, I take our little dog, uh, Henry. Um, we have, so one, one thing you may want to look at, like I have a rack and it's called the Surly 24 pack rack. And, you know, just like it says that it fits a 24 pack on there nicely. It's actually, it has a, a safe carrying capacity of 35 pounds, which is massive. Uh, if you've got 35 pounds in the front end of a bike, man, it's it's not it's not even that enjoyable to ride. So you don't want that much weight. But then uh, there's a company called Wald, W-A-L-D, Baskets. They've been making baskets in the United States since, the, I don't know. They're like the original bicycle basket guys. So I, there's one called, I think it's the Wald 37 or the 137. And I take that thing and I just zip tie it to my my 24-pack rack, put a blanket in there, and Henry sits in there. He loves it. He loves going for rides with us. Well, because it's our whole family. Like, I don't take him when I'm going by myself, but, you know, when we go for rides as a family and all the kids and stuff, he jumps in there and he gets to be with us. And uh, when we were learning, two times he jumped out. He just jumped. He was fine. And luckily he jumped to the side so I didn't drive over him. Uh, but then we ended up making a really short little leash and that so he couldn't actually get his face over the outside of the basket and then we did that for a couple of rides and now he just knows that hey you just sit there and as soon as we put him in there he just lays down and just loves it but yeah they sell that 24 pack rack at uh, jensen has them they also have one that's an eight pack rack which is a little bit narrower but oh yeah it's limitless what you can do to set them up but it's true most local bike shops it seems they're set up for either recreational riding with modern stuff, like people want a mountain bike with full suspension and they want a camelback on their back um, or like racing oriented stuff or, or like jumping. Like not a lot of people do the backpacking slash touring slash thing. You know, it's kind of a, a little bit more of a niche market, but that's where I like to be. It's a lot of fun. So what else is happening? Waiting on the, waiting on the dump truck, got the bike coming. That's about it this week. Uh, other than that, my doctor had told me uh, last week, I hope you're relaxing and not doing anything while you recover. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. Whatever you say, doc. <laughs> yeah. If it makes you happy for me to say that, yes, I have been relaxing. Yeah. Uh, then I had to spend the ne- the following week and a half until yesterday actually relaxing. So I didn't feel guilty when I went to my appointment yesterday and lie to him. Uh, <laughs> and then I got hooked on... Uh, I knew about him anyway. I'd been watching him, but uh, then I started binge watching uh, Andrew Camerata on YouTube yeah. uh, and Instagram, and I highly recommend folks go uh, blow up his subscriptions and uh, let's pop him over a million uh, as soon as we can, yeah. if he's not already there uh, by the time you hear this. but uh, and, and if he is, let's go to two million. You know? Yeah, no, he does some good stuff. It's... And even if you're not interested in what he does, how he does it, 
and his uh, cinematography is worth watching. Yeah. In my opinion, so. Yeah. It's but, fun. you know, that's that was my week. Right on. And your week was probably spent on, you know, making signs. Yep. Yeah, no, it's uh, so glad it's over. It, like I was, I was telling you before we started recording, is it, you know, like we'll have supper like 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and it's like, oh, I've got three more hours of work to do. And I'm like, I do not want to go to work. But it's like, no, nah, it's got to be done. I'm just going to go do it. And it's, you know, you kind of, your your body says, oh, I, I just don't want to work right now. And then your mind just says, it doesn't matter. It's got to be done. And you don't reason with yourself. It's over. Okay, yeah, you're right. It's over. It's done. And you go. And you build this this certain tolerance to like the pain or the suffering and this this toughness. And so it's not bad. You know, and every day it's like you get up in the morning, you start work at seven o'clock and you work till like 11 o'clock at night. And it's like, okay, let's do it again. Uh, most days, it's funny, I think I lost seven pounds <laughs> in the last couple of weeks because I just don't take a lunch break. I'm like, I'm too busy to take a lunch break. So I have like, uh, you know, I, I love nuts. And, and so I go to Costco and I get a couple of things on mixed nuts or cashews. And I have like, I'll have two handfuls of mixed nuts and call that a lunch. Um, I, I drink a lot of water during this time. Like I probably drink a three or four liters of water a day and I find that helps. But I'm just like, you know what? It, it's so weird that I can just go for... Literally work six hours straight, have a couple of nuts, and then work for six more hours, and then have supper, and then go work for another couple hours. And now that we're we're kind of done, like my last busy day of doing the sign stuff was Tuesday, and um, Tuesday I worked to like eleven o'clock at night, and then Wednesday I was, I was cleaning. I was literally vacuuming for six solid hours. My vacuum was running, getting rid of all the dust and stuff. That's another story. That's something I need as a better dust collector, but. Um, it was funny because the the pressure to get a certain number of things done, like I've always got these these numbers every day. It's like, okay, I need this many signs done. And when you don't have that, I'm still working, you know, but I'm not, it's a different pace. I'm like making sure I'm moving every little piece off every shelf, vacuuming, dusting. And by five o'clock on Wednesday, I felt like I was an absolute zombie. Like I felt like a train had hit me and I'd been awake for like 70 hours straight. And I think it's that my body wasn't like resisting that, that is letting go of that toughness, right? That you, know, you just build up this defense as to, oh, they're just work hard, work hard, work hard, and your body just kind of sucks it up. And when now it knows, it's like, okay, you don't have to do this anymore. You can go back to being a human being. <laughs> then your body just lets go, and it's like, oh, my word. So then the last last two two days, I felt like I've, I don't know, man, like I've come out of like a coma I've been in for the last, my body feels so weird, like tired but good. But oh, I'm I'm really excited, and then this so it always kind of lends up to a good Christmas because like yes, I deserve this time off. You know, I've earned my sleep for tonight, <laughs> but definitely glad it's done. Now I got a couple things I need to get out, a couple knife things I need to finish before Christmas, and then and we'll call it good. But yeah, it's been a good yeah, just good week. One of the really satisfying yet exhausting parts about you know having your own business or small business where part of that is the seasonal uh, ups and downs yeah you know and Cause i i used to know a person that uh only worked uh three months a year and they made seasonal kind of product and uh they made enough money just to last them the rest of the year yeah uh yeah, they died at an early age, so 
Hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe just doing that. Um, or maybe it was the, um, things that they did with their body during the nine months they were off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, this is I'm voting that that was it, but yeah, I mean, that's, this is the case with this Etsy thing. Like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this for like 10 bucks an hour. Right. I would, I would not work that hard. And, uh, you know, honestly, I don't think, I think not, I think probably 98% of the people in the world wouldn't work as hard as I just did. They wouldn't. I mean, I was raised working hard. Uh, most people aren't. The value of hard work. Uh, actually, my daughter, who's 12, last week, she did all her school because we homeschool. And she actually worked 42 and a half hours last week. And she's 12 years old. <laughs> it's her choice. She doesn't have to. We pay our kids. We pay them 15 bucks an hour and they love it. You know what I mean? And uh, I mean, they've been working with us that my boys haven't been working as hard. So my daughter does stuff with my wife, like um, weed, the vinyl decals, and then the kids package and wrap signs and stuff like that. Uh, they love it because they're making bank. You know, my little, my eight-year-old was, I don't know. And it's weird to talk about my, but he's got a few grand in his bank account and he's eight, <laughs> he's eight years old, you know. Um, but that's the same thing with this is that, the the money is there and the money is so insanely good and, and people want it. It's like, please, please, we we cap our orders at 100 a day. And so once we sell 100, oh, they're out of stock until the next day because ultimately a week from when it's ordered, we have to have those 100 shipping. And that is our absolute maximum. That's like our threshold. And that's a little bit pushing it too. Like that's zero room for error, right? Like I was always like, what if one of my piece of equipment failed? <laughs> you know, I was like, man, we'd be in trouble for a day or two. But um. Yeah, no, and and so that's why you do it. And you know what? If we made a, if we made a couple quick modifications to our lifestyle, it would literally be we do this, and then we can kind of just relax the rest of the year. But <laughs> then again, that's kind of boring, right? Like, if you're gonna work this hard, I want to be able to enjoy. I want to go skiing. I want to do a ski trip here and there. You know, so uh, it's it's nice. It's you got the work. The work's there, man. Let her rip. Let her go. You know, especially like. You know, we, we tell our kids a lot. It's like, you know, there's a lot of people right now. Like our economy in Alberta is pretty terrible. Uh, Alberta, uh, I think we've got like one of the highest unemployment rates in, well, it, definitely in Canada, but even in North America, it's it's phenomenal here right now. Um, and I was like, you know, a lot of people can't work because of this COVID, you know, and, and, and sometimes the kids will be like, oh, I don't want to do signs. Like you don't have to, but you know what? I guarantee you that I could call one of your friend's dads and they'd come do it right now. So like, yes, I need, I need a job, you know? So I said, be grateful for this opportunity and don't waste it. If you have a chance to make money, you can go make that money. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, is it fun? No. Do I love it? No, but it's there. It's, it's, it's one of these things I say, you know what? I love making knives, but you don't get paid to make knives. It's something that you know, yes, you can, you can make some money, but not a lot. Right. Whereas this is completely, this reminds me of when you go work up on the rigs up North, it's like, you're just going to make a gross amount of money and it's going to be terrible work and boom, done. You do it for a short while and then you, you're, you're set, you know, but so that's what it is. Just, Hey, make hay while the sun shines. It's uh, the land of eternal sunshine right now. So we just get her done. That's good. Now we can you know the ironic it. thing is What's that the make hay while the sun shines is literally the reason for daylight savings time. Yes, I know it's so stupid. <laughs> I know I hate it. I'm a I'm an anti daylight savings time guy. 
I tell the kids, I said, you know, you know, we're coming up on the winter solstice, right? When it's like the darkest day of the year, which incidentally was my mother-in-law's birthday. December 24th was the darkest mm. day in the world for, for she was born on that day for a reason. <laughs> That'd be more funny if it was your sister-in-law. But... Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, it, my mother-in-law, she, I, and that's why I call her the Wicked Witch of the North. <laughs> but anyway, she'll never listen to this. I'm sure we're fine. I'm fine. And if so, I, I'm just completely joking, but... They tell the kids our days are getting really dark. We don't have a lot of sunshine, but on Etsy, it's like the summer solstice. You know, it, the sun never sets, so we just got to keep working. Oh, fun stuff. Oh, yeah. My wife is fascinated by that. By what's that? Because she's still one of the people to think that Etsy's a fad. I'm like, uh, no. No. It is a humongous marketplace for small business. Yeah. In fact, I think it's the the marketplace for small business. Oh yeah. You know, for crafters and things like that. Makers. Yeah. Uh, um, the, I was reading a study and I think Etsy of all the companies, all the big companies in the world, and this includes Walmart, Apple, uh, Amazon. Etsy is in the top five for logistics management. Top five companies on earth for logistics management. So that's, I mean, their numbers and volume and, and actual dollar processing every year isn't as big as like some of the big tech. But to think about their logistics infrastructure is on par with like, or like in the same group as Apple, Walmart, Amazon. That's pretty impressive. Like they actually have a lot of clout as far as, uh, you know, as a corporate, they're a big deal. They're definitely a big deal. I wonder how much how much oh, uh, business is done every year on, on Etsy. I've never looked at the dollar figure for that. I bet it'd be impressive. Yes. But yeah, no, it's a Etsy. Yeah, I, a, I would be de- I would I would be depressed if I saw that number. Yeah, well, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> I really need to get my shop worked on and fixed so I can start, you know, doing the wands and the bowls and the furniture and everything else again and then boom etsy yeah uh as merchandise sales okay so let's see oh this is only when was this oh, okay november 26 2020 the annual merchandise volume uh no this is 2018's number 4.97 billion us dollars in 2018. Oh, is that all? Yeah, so it's a $5 billion industry And you know 2020 is just off the hook. Oh, yeah. These people have to stay at home. Yeah. And in 2010, it was uh, $314 million. So in eight years, they've gone from $314 million to $4.97 billion U.S. dollars. So that's that's not small change, you know what I mean? Like, it's a... Uh, I know so many people think, oh, you can't make money on Etsy. It's like, uh, y- you're wrong. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people that fail at it because there's there's certain things you need to do and ways to do it. Like when, when if you get an Etsy shop set up and you got some stuff, let us know. And Steph has done so much research and, and figured out so many things that help you get noticed. I, I think that's one of the hardest part is getting up there, right? Yeah, finding stuff on Etsy is finding what you want. You find stuff, but finding what you're actually looking for is so difficult. Yeah. And then as a store standing out so that you are uh, more prominent, like there's definitely uh, methods to do that. So like my wife's store right now, she started about three years ago. It's in the top 1% of stores on in Etsy in Canada. 
So that that's impressive. You know what I mean? Um. Oh God, yeah. Like I think she'll have ten thousand sales by the time we're done the Mother's Day rush, which is our next big rush coming. Um, and, and it's insane. Awesome, man. Because from Christmas last year, our busiest day was last year. Our busiest sales day was like eighty-one sales in a day. Um, we accidentally didn't turn it off when we decided we need to turn it off. We end up getting 150 in one day. And so like from last year to this year, her store has, her sales have increased by like 270 some percent, right? Now, a lot of that's probably due to the pandemic. Um, last year, our Christmas rush was insane. And then our mother's day rush was even more than that. And I, that was obviously probably fueled by the pandemic too. Cause by that time, you know, stores still weren't open and stuff, but it's crazy. Like, look, we're, we're done with the Christmas. We're relaxing. Okay, good. And then we're going to kind of gear up. I'm going to actually start making stock ahead of time. So hopefully by the time Mother's Day rush starts, which is a shorter little rush season, but it's pretty intense. Um, hopefully, you know, I'd like to have like 2,000, 3,000 signs ready to go, you know. And oh, absolutely. In your, uh, in your other endeavors, when you have, you know, free time, oh, look, you know, I'm caught up on my knife holder. You know, make a couple hundred boards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that'll just and stockpile them out in the connex, and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they have to be in the you basement. Know, I, I I worry about that with the little pine boards, uh, storing them anywhere outside. Yeah, no, that's why they're all in the basement. Like once they're stained, and the one thing is, I've noticed, like I do all my processing, get them all flat and straight, and blah 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 blah. If I leave them untreated like unstained sitting in, you know, for a week or two, they start to move around. As soon as you get that stain on them, it kind of locks it in and, and kind of, they don't warp nearly as much once they're stained. So I like to try and get, once the board's done, you know, get some stain on it, kind of seals it in a little bit. And then it, it pretty much stays. We've had some signs that were stained. I say somebody orders one and then they cancel their order and it was a custom sign or whatever. We'll leave it sitting and that might be six months later, somebody orders it. As long as they're stained, they're fine. Like they they haven't moved, they haven't warped or gone crazy. Um, but yeah, then if I leave just raw boards waiting for stain for like three weeks, they all like cup and dish, and I have to throw half of them away. But I think it'd be really bad if I was storing them outside. But oh yeah, they'd be really yeah. No, it's uh, it's good to be done. Looking forward to Christmas. Split. What's that? Yeah, storing them outside would be bad. Yeah. If it was a different species of wood, maybe not, but those pine boards, yeah, that's, that's bad. Yeah, these are all spruce, which are pretty much the same thing. They behave the exact same way. <clears throat> but yeah, that's uh, pretty much it. Getting ready for Christmas. Obviously, uh, in Alberta, they've tried to cancel Christmas here. They've locked everything down. You're not allowed to have family over. You know, it's so funny. Um, Calgary was really quick to adopt the mandatory mask law and Calgary, like the, the government officials of the city, uh, they've been really strict with all the regulations, right? Like just pretty extreme about it, uh, more so than the rest of the entire province. Uh, but right now, all those same council members are trying to get uh, Santa, the visiting Santa and sitting on his knee declared an essential service. And they're all signing these things. They're having these meetings. All these people that wanted everybody to be locked up. No, but we want Santa back. So they're trying to do that right now. It's so funny. It's like, wow, that just totally makes sense. There's so much logic in that. Uh, good job. It's a good thing you're running this city and you're making the important decisions. 
But I guess now my wife saw Santa Claus at a mall yesterday. And they, they have him in this big plexiglass thing. And the kids stand in front of the plexiglass and Santa's behind it. <laughs> and so that's what Santa right, Claus visits from, are like. <laughs> but from the mall Santa perspective, you know how great that has to be for them? Oh, yeah. You know, they don't have kids puking on them, spitting on them, peeing on them, <laughs> yeah. you know, pulling their beard. You know, that mall Santa's back there going, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, he's probably making more money. He's getting some danger pay because he's potentially subjecting oh, himself yeah. to the COVID-19. You know, it's, oh, it's funny. And from a kid's perspective, I hated Santa Claus. My parents wanted the picture. He always had bad breath and he always creeped me out. You know, like, come okay. on. The only Santa I remember ever, ever, because I only, I think I only went once. And it was, I was so young. It's when your memory is just starting to, you know where you can remember it the rest of your life. Yeah. He reeked so bad of whiskey. <laughs> it's hilarious. You can't blame him, can you? And, and oh no. Oh no. This is so this will tell you something about my childhood. I I was I didn't start crying. I didn't start anything. I looked up at him when they were fixing to take the picture. I said, You smell like daddy. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Are you my dad? It's <laughs> funny. That's hilarious. Oh god! You can't blame him. It's like, hey, you go sit with a whole bunch of snotty kids. <laughs> it's sober. Oh, I'd be drunk too. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He's <laughs> got a little hooch in his little flask. <laughs> no, that's a candy cane you're smelling, son. <laughs> that's funny. You're <laughs> like, ho ho ho. And the kid's like, oh, that sounds great. He's no, I was talking to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's hilarious. No, we uh we never taught our kids to believe in Santa Claus. Uh, it's funny, and then that caused problems when we go to family things because my kids are like Santa Claus not real, and then you know sister in laws are looking at us with these eyes like, what are you telling your kids? It's like, Just come here, don't talk to them. They still believe in Santa Claus, you know. So it's like, ah, uh, I don't know. I remember when I found out Santa Claus was fake, I was pissed off. I was like, you kidding me? You've been lying to me? And so I thought, I'm not going to do that to my kids. You know what? Santa Claus is cool. There's no such thing. Also, some kids are terrified. Actually, one of my little my little nieces, they had to tell her because when they found out, you know, the part of the story, I think she's like four, where Santa Claus comes down the chimney, she couldn't sleep. She was like in a fit, just terrified. So like, he's just a joke. Santa isn't real. Yes, he is. You said he's real. It's like, no, we lied to you. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. <laughs> crazy. It's so complicated being a parent sometimes, hey? <laughs> but Oh, God. If there was a, if all that was real, right? Yeah. You would have to include Krampus. Yes, exactly. And in, in real life, in real life. Krampus would win. Oh, yeah. And then you'd be like, you know what? You pretended to be nice the last four days before Christmas, but Krampus knows he's going to come kill you tonight. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm so happy you have that <sighs> bike. Like, just the history behind it, the surly Krampus. That's everything yep. <laughs> at Christmas time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Someone may have told me at some point this week that, you know, it's kind of fitting that I'm getting a bike called Krampus. <laughs> and it's a Surly, right? Oh, what do you mean? I mean, hey, I'm the... Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? 
uh, one of the lawyers I used to work with, uh, every year she would buy me something with curmudgeon on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. There's a saying, there's a guy on Instagram, his handle is the surly old man. I'm like, oh man, I wish I had that. His name's Aaron. He's a pretty cool guy. I follow him. He follows me. Uh, but he has all surly bikes. I don't know if he works for surly or not, but he knows a lot about him. He's given me a lot of tips. Um, but yeah, I think he lives in Ohio or something like that, but surly old man. I thought that would be my perfect name, you know? Yep. No, well, at least we got surly bicycles. Hey, hey, maybe we should change our uh, the name of the podcast to Two Surly Old Men." Yeah, that would work actually. <laughs> to- totally work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then um, this episode. Hopefully, you know what? So uh, for those listening, what is this for our episodes, Todd? Is this four or five? It's five four. or six. Five or six. Okay. Well, no, it'll be five because uh, we started to record one last week and had technical issues and wound up just giving up and walking away. And then it would have been five, I believe. Yeah. No, that was so this two is, weeks ago. This is five. So. Yeah. Yeah. Because la- last week I just said I flat out don't have time. I lost a week. Uh, yeah. And then even like my, my other podcast, I, I haven't done an episode there for three weeks, but uh, I found out what our problem was. So we were recording. You know, I'm in my little dungeon in my basement here, and all of a sudden the breaker goes, and then my roadcaster dies, and it interrupted, and that happened two or three times, and to the point where it's just like, you know what, this is not working. It, it just it'd be so much work on the back end to try and put it all together in post production that we said, you know what, let's just call it. So we haven't done an episode for two weeks, and uh, all the episodes we have recorded aren't even live yet. Uh, so at the time of this recording, we're actually recording this the morning of Friday, the 18th of December, 2020. Um, I'm really hoping though, this is my goal, Todd, I'd like to get all of our episodes live before Christmas. Yeah. What does that sound like to you? That sounds good. Because then, you know what, over the holidays, people are driving, you know, if they're lucky enough that they're allowed to have Christmas. <laughs> um, you know, they, they you got a lot, I got a four hour drive to the in-laws, let me see what this show's about. You know, a little bit to ba- kind of batch out a large chunk so you can kind of get a flavor for the uh, the podcast as a whole. Obviously, it's always going to change and, and, you know, we get more comfortable doing this, the flavor of it's going to change. But I think by now yeah. there should be a, a backlog enough of, uh, so you have a sense. There's a few things we're going to be editing out of previous <laughs> previous episodes, so maybe it's a yeah. good thing we weren't putting them live as they came out. Exactly. A and, little you bit know, too if, harsh. If, if your Christmas is canceled, this is a good alternative. There you go. Yeah, there you go. What's your What's your restrictions like down there for the old COVID, the old Wuhan sniffles? Are they pretty uh, bad, or is it kind of normal? Here locally... It, no one seems to give a hoot about any kind of rule, law, or anything. They just do whatever they want. But uh, I think our governor in Tennessee is going, has or is uh, going to reinstitute the mask, statewide mask, uh, mandatory rule, uh, yeah. which, you know, for no other reason. He should have left the statewide uh, mask rule in place just to make the snowflakes comfortable. Yeah. Because they shut down the state at one point, uh, government that way, that is, because of it, you know. Mm. 
it, it caused so many problems with people complaining about it that just, you know what, wear a mask when you're out in public just to make people feel better would have been less problem and less money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, when I go to town, uh, people are not wearing masks and they're, Oh, you know, COVID's nothing, huh? Or they're wearing a mask and they're, they're afraid of everybody and everything. They're not touching anything. Uh, I even had a woman ask me to open the door for her because she wasn't going to touch it. And I oh. opened the door, walked through, shut it, and said, eh, I hope you get in sometime. Um, yeah. You know, she was just a, you know, a weirdo. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm one of those folks that thinks that, yes, COVID's a thing. It's not as serious as the government or industry wants us to believe. We should have just kept business as usual and taken reasonable precaution, not mm-hmm. stopped anything, you know? Yeah. Hey, wear a mask if you want. Don't if you don't. No big deal. And I think most people are good and responsible and would have worn a mask to make other people feel comfortable, if for no other reason, you know. But I go to the, you know, I had surgery in the hospital. People weren't wearing masks. I had. Really? uh, I go to the post office. We have to wear a mask, but the postal employees don't because they have a union. Uh, Went to the Toyota dealer to have my Sequoia serviced. Everyone that worked there had to wear a mask except salesmen because, you know, they're contractor kind of people. Yeah. But actual Toyota employees were mandated they wear a mask. And, but hmm. 90% of the customers weren't, uh, you know, go to a restaurant, nobody's wearing a mask. You know, even, heck, even when it was mandated, you could tell who the who the rights were and who the lefts were. Yeah. And no one... Who's an authority really cared outside of Nashville or Chattanooga, you know, the big touristy towns, uh, yep. the rest of the state was just doing what it wanted. Hmm. The whole thing about the whole mask thing is, is if it was strongly encouraged, you know, it's like, listen, we can't force you to do anything, uh, but we strongly recommend you do this. You know, then it'd be like, okay, cool. I, I'm the type of person who's like, you know what? You put it to me that way and this is my choice. Yes, I'll do it. And then obviously, you know what? If I'm happen to be drinking a Tim Hortons coffee walking through a store, well, I'm going to have my mask down because I'm, I'm enjoying this coffee and I'm a healthy person. Uh, at the same time, you know, to respect for other people, I understand there's people that are genuinely afraid of this and I want to be cognizant of that. I want to be, yes, you know what? Sure. I can modify what I do. It's not going to kill me to wear a mask. And if it makes you feel more comfortable, you as an individual, like, okay, you actually want me to wear a mask? Yes. For your specific request, I will acknowledge that you're a person with fears and I'll put a mask on. But when the thing that drives me nuts, it's like, you know what? As the government, we are going to dictate your life and you do not have a choice. Well, that is, and you know, a lot of people look at that and say, okay, now you're getting crazy, right? But it's, it's that little tiny fundamental thing because governments will never give back what they have taken, right? And w- once they have a right of yours, boy, good luck getting it back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, those only ever come back during revolutions, you know, like th- that's when wars have happened is to gain freedoms back. You know, I, I don't know. Like, and and, and I, I think the big issue with this whole is that 
Uh, most folks now don't have an understanding of history. They don't realize what's happened in the past. And I think if they knew, if they studied history, they'd be terrified about some of the things. And I don't know what it's like in the States, but Canada's horrible right now. Like, oh, dude, man, like, like I, I, we're just a couple years away from being fully communist. And, and that's how it is. Like the way things are going, what Justin Trudeau's trying to do, it's terrifying, you know? But most people are just like, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. It's like, you know I'm what? Not- Did you know Adolf Hitler was voted in a democratic government and then it changed? Like, that can yeah, happen. Not, that I'm did not, happen. Yeah, I'm not. Would, when you're talking about Justin Trudeau specifically, I'm not sure he wants socialism or communism. I think he wants fascism where he's like king of Canada or, you know, grand poobah of Canada. Yeah, but he also wants, he wants the Great Reset, which means that Canadians aren't allowed to own land as individuals. Uh, you know, even cars, you don't own your automobile, you're borrowing it uh, from the government. Like, he literally wants to take away any sovereignty of the people uh, with this Great Reset. He said in an address to the United Nations, oh, a lot God. of people are saying... Yeah, he he wants to be king. Yeah, and it's it's more than, I don't know it. I, I don't know... Well, that would be absolute, where he is the government, and you don't own anything. You, you're just his uh, subject. Yeah, that's that's more than socialism. That's communism, right? I mean, well, you know, it's more than communism. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's it's terrifying. Like it's interesting. Like you kind of look at communist Russia and what happened with that, and I don't know that they're any better now. Like when I lived in in Moscow, it was after communism. And uh, I remember a lot of people were <laughs> selling these T-shirts and it had the hammer and sickle and it says the party's over and it had the dates like whenever to whenever the, the communist party. I actually bought one of those shirts. I brought it back and I used to wear it. <laughs> the party's over. I really had no clue what I was saying when I was like 16 years old, but I, I just like that symbol. I used to love the hammer and sickle. I had that over everything. In fact, I have a brass uh, a bronze of uh, was it Lenin's face. I think up in my garage, hanging up there, people see that like so so offended. It's like, dude, I bought it at a market there for like a dollar. It's a piece of history, you know. That way, I can remember things. It's a reminder of what not to do. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, we saw some pretty dark stuff when we were there. See these? uh, Yeah, I I know a little bit about uh, what happened before, during, and after the fall of the wall in the Czech Republic, mm-hmm. old Czechoslovakia. Yep. And that's, there's some lessons for the rest of the world to learn in the Czech Republic, but no one cares. Mm-hmm. No, because we don't know what it's about. The, the government has too much power, private, uh, well, I don't want to say private businesses because they're publicly traded, but uh, the social media, internet, and industrial oligarchy that is in bed with uh, socialist governments, mm-hmm. or uh, they have too much power. Yep. Because social media is now controlling what you see. Uh, they're only going to show you and allow to, for you to upload what they want you mm-hmm. to, the message they want to send. Yep. And I know that because I, I got a uh, an acquaintance uh a corporate lawyer very high up in Facebook uh, that just took the job to take their money yeah. kind of thing. 
he said every day he is, expects to get fired because all of his legal reviews is you can't do this. Wow. <laughs> and they keep doing it, but uh, that's crazy. He said you wouldn't believe. He said you wouldn't believe, Todd, if I told you the things that Facebook does behind your back. I said yes, I would. Yeah, I would believe it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree hundred percent. You know, it's it's funny that you're talking about the Czechoslovakia. Um, when I used to do airport stuff, uh, one of the AutoCAD guys, he wasn't an engineer, he was our drafts guy, but I, I think he actually ended up getting his engineering degree eventually, but he was uh, from the Czech Republic, and another one of his, a guy that did the electrical engineer, was from Slovakia, and uh, so obviously we play ping pong together, <laughs> it was always like the great international warfare, uh, but him and I, uh, this guy's name Slavo, still a good friend of mine, still talk to him quite often, he actually built an acreage, I don't know, 20 miles away from me, but uh, we we were in Santiago, Chile, doing a job there, and we we're doing the entire Santiago airport. And so we went down there, and I think we had to spend nine days. And uh, this actually after I'd kind of quit working for this company, but they had this job, and they needed somebody to go, you know, get the things set up. So they said, "Will you please come here and do this?" And so I said, "Fine." Uh, I was kind of doing photography at the time, but I thought I'll take this this ten days or whatever work for them. And we went down there, and I remember when we were all said and done. You know, we lived, we had a nice hotel, really nice hotel they put us up in and we'd eat out every night. We always had the fancy food and uh, we ate like Kings, this, this group, this consultant group. Um, uh, the guy that ran the group, it's actually his dad was the first person to fly to the Easter Islands. He's kind of an aviation legend in, uh, in, in South America. But anyways, we were going back to the airport. We we're all done and we we're leaving. It's, it's like a later night flight. It's like seven or eight at night. It's completely dark. And we got this taxi and we get into it and this taxi ended up, instead of going through town, he kind of took us on these outer roads. And as soon as my friend noticed that we weren't in town, he started to panic. He's like, oh, Jeremy, what are we going to do? I'm like, Slavo, what are you talking about? Like, this is nervous. And he's just, he was like almost beside himself. I said, Slavo, there's nothing wrong. He goes, I remember what he said. He said, you Canadians, you don't know what anything's about. He goes, you're so happy. You take a backpack and you travel all over the world and you're not afraid of anything. He says, you don't know what it's like to live under communism. You don't know what it's like to have rocks coming through your window and soldiers coming through your door. You don't know. You know what I mean? And it's true. And I think that's why so many people now are just like, yes, here, I'll wear a mask. Yes, cancel my Christmas. You're allowed to take away my freedoms. Go ahead. Whatever. Uh, You know, soon I'm going to go backpacking. I'm going to travel the world and blah, 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 blah. And they don't know what it's like. They don't know what can happen. They think that the government is only good. And there have been some good governments, but there have been some terrible ones too. Oh, yeah, I I can... Tell you that from firsthand experience, 20 years in the United States military and then 13 years after that, deep inside the government and four different agencies, uh, they don't have your best interests at heart, people. No. They have theirs. Everyone in the government just wants to either get the next promotion and they have to justify their existence. So everything they do is for that annual performance report, for that bonus, for that promotion. Not for your best interest. Mm. Trust me. Mm. Everybody in it at a certain level, once you get up, you know, high enough, all you want to do is create your own little fiefdom so you don't get fired. Yeah. Or become irrelevant. That's so funny you talk about that. Do you ever listen to the Order of Man podcast? No. Oh. But I, I it's on my list to do. So there's one, I don't know if it's I think it was Monday. 
came out this last Monday. It's a recent one. And I think you should go listen. You would find it interesting um, because he's talking with two guys. Who are they? Come here. I can't bring it up right now. Anyways, it's these two guys. They're former Navy SEALs. And now they both work in D.C. And they talk very explicitly about like the inner workings of D.C. And like the lobbyists and all this stuff and how it works. Saying exactly the same stuff that you just said. It's like... You know, there's so much BS and, and exactly said everybody's just trying to get to the next rung, right? And, you know, they said, well, should we put term limits on everyone? You know, not just presidents, but lobbyists and, and these people. And, you know, it talks about who in D.C. has the real power, right? And, and, and you know, you got to try and get in and you got to try and explain to these people and hopefully, okay, yeah, you like this. And interesting. So these two guys, they both work in D.C. I forget they talked about their, their roles and stuff, but they talk about the system of it and how crazy it is. But it's exactly like you were just saying. Oh, it's fascinating. I might even go listen to that again. But I think you, you'd probably like that episode, Todd. I think you should check that out. Probably resonate with what you already know. Or, you said uh, Order of Man? Order of Man, yeah. I like it. It's a, You know, I used to listen to The Art of Manliness. You ever listened to that one with Brett McKay? No. It used to be good. It was the art of manliness, and he, he was a, going to law school. He actually is a lawyer, and he started this podcast while he was in law school and ended up being enough that he actually never worked as a lawyer. He just went to podcasting once he was done. But, um, you know, he his thing was like, you know, the art of being a man is lost. You know, like uh, teenagers aren't shown how to change the oil in their vehicles, how to change their tires. Uh, you know, what's good etiquette? When, when you go out for a restaurant, what's the proper way to behave? What are all the cutlery? That's all part of the, you know, being a man is that you know how to act in public. You know how to chop down a tree and build a fire. You know how to survive if you're on the side of the road in your car. Um, you know, and as far as the basics of every man. So that's how he started. And, you know, he used to end his podcast saying, this is Brett McKay encouraging you to be, go out there and be more manly. And then he took that away about two years ago and said, you know, apply what you've not only listen to the art of manliness, but apply what you've heard into practice. And I noticed he took that go out and be more manly. And he's gotten just softer and softer and softer uh, to the point where he has this, uh, he has a program called the strenuous life that you can join. And uh, he used to say when he's advertising, help, help you to become a better man. And now he says, become a better person. And then even in his programming, he's he's a lot more things where it's kind of like, yeah, it's getting pretty woohoo. And I mean, he's uh, he's at the point I think he should change his name soon because it's not about the art of manliness, not at all. But the order of man is definitely like they are um, uh, to the point they'd be highly offended, uh, highly offensive to a lot of people, I think. Because <laughs> there's like uh, unapolo- unapologetically, nope, I'm a man. If I'm a man, that means I'm the leader of the house. And if I'm, you know what? And he even said in the last episode, he said, I almost would say that exclusively the definition of masculinity is leadership. He said, you cannot be a man if you cannot lead people. He said, I believe that wholeheartedly. And I'm like, that's true. You know, he said, I lead myself and my decisions. I lead my family. I lead my community. I lead my government. You know, I, I lead my friends and coworkers. If you're a man, you can lead people. And I'm like, that's very, very true, you know. I love that. I love the order of man. Like not 100% everything I agree with, but um, yeah, he also had, who's that Navy SEAL that was on trial uh, for war crimes and then uh, Donald Trump? Uh, basically, he was found not guilty 
but he was stripped of his uh, all of his benefits and his uh, you know, retirement money or whatever. And then Donald Trump came in and said, no, he keeps all this stuff. He served oh, they said 19 years or something. And he said, no, nope, you can't take it away from him. He retires and they're going to take away his trident, take away all of his service. So he's like, nope, he served. You can't take this away. He was found not guilty. Uh, he had that Navy SEAL on. He's pretty famous. I, I forget his name, but he actually has some pretty cool guys. He has Jocko Willink on a few times and stuff like that. But I, I like the Order of Man. That okay, is- that guy is, there's something wrong with him. <laughs> I like Jocko. <laughs> it, there is something wrong with him. I know. There just is. Something bad happened to you? Good. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> I know, he's the best. <laughs> I like him. Your dog got killed and somebody smashed your car and your house was on fire when you got home? Good. Go do some burpees. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's hopped up on goofers. Yeah, he's funny. I like yep. Jocko. You ever listen to his books? Read his books? Uh, no, it's, it's again, on my list, but I watched part of his uh, appearance on, one of his appearances on Rogan. Yeah. And uh, heard the story where he was just... Uh, <sighs> Not even training, but just like in playing around. He was rolling uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu with his best friend mm-hmm. and broke the guy's arm because he could. <laughs> yeah. There's something wrong with you. Yeah, I think, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he, uh, they're crazy, those jiu-jitsu guys. This Order of Man guy's big on jiu-jitsu too. It's, I don't know, something weird about those guys. They love that crap, but... Well, I know there's something wrong with Joe Rogan too, but yeah, he's he's I, I mm. he's weird. I, I like listening to him, but only some of the stuff. I, I'll look at who the guest is. And I'm like, okay, this this one will be interesting. Or if I see like, oh, it's this comedian, I'm like, ah, oh, forget, it. I'm done. I'm not gonna listen to these people just swear about stupid stuff all day long. I've got better things to do <laughs> in my life. But yeah, he's phenomenal. It's crazy his success, isn't it? I'm like, wow. Well, his his success might be uh, bittersweet for the rest of the world of podcasting because there are a lot of folks, a lot of folks at his new company that paid him so many tens of millions of dollars that hate him because of his views, his political views. If that happens, that uh, hasn't gone through And some yet. other things. I'm sorry? That hasn't gone through yet, though. No, but there are so many people that in that one, you know, that don't like him. And now that's growing. Mm-hmm. And now cancel culture has gotten wind of Joe Rogan. Like they didn't know him before, you know. Yeah. Oh, my God. He says what? He he thinks who? Oh, my God. We need to regulate podcasting now. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the, I, I, was I think to... the days of free speech are screwed. Yeah. I know that's the one thing I was thinking about podcasting is like, like I've been, had posts of mine on Instagram taken away. I actually can't start a Twitter account. I've tried numerous ways, numerous email addresses, numerous names. I am not allowed to have a Twitter account. I can't get one. Oh my God. What did you do? Ah, I did some stuff. I, I, okay. I, I think I said the sky was blue today and they disagreed. No, it's not. It's gray where I live. <laughs> I don't know who knows, but it's stupid, but you know, the, it's true. Like, you know, you go on Instagram, 
anybody who puts anything that's like against, you know, now all of a sudden it's, it's kind of grayed out and there's a little information circle, I in a circle and says, uh, please know, you know, we have uh, independent fact checkers have uh, found that this is false information. And then you can like see why, and then you can press a button to see the post. And it's like, wow, so now you are telling me what you think is right or wrong. Instead of just letting me see what my friends are sharing, now you're putting this little filter over it that says, hey, we're an authority and you think like we do because we know what's best, you know? And that's what I always thought podcasting at least doesn't have that. I was listening to an interesting podcast, though, uh, about the podcasting industry and why they don't think they're ever will be regulated like YouTube or all other social media platforms are. And uh, it's kind of a, a longer topic. I should try and see if I can find that podcast and let you have a listen to it. But they give some really good arguments as to why it won't ever be regulated. Uh, <clears throat> the one thing is that the people that host it have zero benefit in regulating it because there's n the hosting stuff isn't monetized, right? Like it's pretty much up to the individual shows to get monetized. So now there's no advertisers that are, are worried about being associated with certain people, right? Whereas if you've got a popular podcast and you're kind of controversial, that company knows it when they approach you about a package. So they don't really care what your views are because they, you know, based on what they are, they're like, hey, you've got an audience that we want to reach. Whereas all these other yeah, platforms, as Facebook, as Facebook, Google, and Apple buy up these smaller hosting platforms, and then they become the only hosting platform because they really, really want to control the message. You know. Do you think Apple does so much though? I I think they're definitely there's a certain sense, but they're definitely the most honest of all of the ones that you just listed there. I kind of disagree because I know a lot about the back end of Apple and their cooperation with governments and law enforcement. Yeah. Right? And their use of their abuse of child labor in China. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I just it, it, I have to use them because they're the most secure platform mm -hmm. as far as hardware. And they work. Uh, you know, they work. They're more secure, but they're, you know, you don't own anything. It's all apples, but yeah. But I paid eleven hundred dollars for the phone. Yeah, you're really leasing it. What? Even when you buy it outright. Yeah, I mean because the information in it, and they're really fighting the right to repair. Yes. Uh, rules. Yeah. Because I think anything you buy, you own, and it should be yours. And anything in it is yours. Anything you put on it is yours. And Apple disagrees. Yeah. So does Tesla. Uh. Anyway. Yeah. I, and I know from experience of being in those agencies, uh, anytime, anytime law enforcement or the government in general wants information about you from Apple, they just give it. They don't tell, you know, they say, oh, we're fighting this, but they give it. Hmm. Interesting. In fact, the uh, lawsuit during the Obama administration that caused all those headlines about Apple uh, and your information on it and them needing a warrant and everything that made worldwide headlines and lasted for six years. All the information that the Department of Homeland Security requested and caused the lawsuit, Apple gave freely. They sued to make the public more comfortable so they didn't lose sales. It's crazy. Because I filtered all that information. My office did. Hmm. So I know we got it. Yeah. 
Um, That's crazy. Uh, yeah. but, but all the other companies would now too, right? Like, like uh, you know, like Huawei's terrifying. You know, that Huawei company, like they're bad news with their, you know, even like TikTok, you know, I mean, that's a Chinese company. Like it, it feels to me like with this digital age that when it was starting, I don't think anybody knew what its potential could have been. And I don't think anybody's like, you know what, let's just think about these things. Let's think about, you know, fast forward this 10 years at the rate our technology is going. What could this look like? Like, what are implications? Could people be spied on? You know, could, how could we, how could we set up things so that, you know, we can make sure these bad things don't happen? Nobody did that. Nobody thought about it. Like in the early days of the internet, there's no, the government, it wasn't even on anything. Like it wasn't on docket for any discussion. You know what I mean? They didn't think about it. No, but in the background, you know, you know, the bad guys had a really good idea what was the internet was capable of. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I remember years and years ago, there's always the expression, political correctness, the death of a nation. And, you know, my parents, it's funny because when this whole COVID started, my parents were really worried. And, you know, there's these uh, expressions, oh, the doomer boomer and the, uh, it's like, you guys are just buying into all this hogwash. I said, stop it. You know, I said, listen, this isn't that bad. Yes, this might be a virus, uh, but it's not going to kill everybody. This is something else. And they're like, oh, you're crazy, Jerry. I'm like, no, this is something else going on. There's something going on here. This doesn't line up. Was, no, you're crazy. You're just, you're a, my parents called me conspiracy theorist. <laughs> and I mean, I always was a black sheep of the family, but, and then a couple of things started going down and then, you know, this, and then the government does this, and then they're uncomfortable with this. And then, then you know, you find out the CD re, CDC republishes their actual numbers. You know, when you take out the comorbidities, it's like, oh, this actually isn't that deadly. And then, so now they're fully on board. Like, I don't know what the heck's going on, but we got to get out of here. So they're, they're looking to, to, to move somewhere, right? Like, let's buy, buy something somewhere else, you know? Um, but I always wonder, so the, the point we're at now where you can't say anything, right? You can't, uh, you know, you've got this exception, like, like you and I were talking. So this, this company that we're using right now to host this Squadcast, this company, I was listening to their podcast and they're growing their business, which is great for their business. But, you know, they said in a recent podcast that they're hiring and they said, we'll give special treatment if you're black and female. And that's racism and that's sexism. But somehow, you know, we've gotten to this place where these minorities can get, can, can you know, put their hand up, they can cry a few tears and they get such... Uh, privilege that that we completely flipped them over. And if you say that, if I were to go, like, I'm pretty sure we're going to cancel the subscription. And I'm pretty sure if I wrote my reason is because you're sexist and racist. And they'll be like, no, we weren't. What do you mean? Said, well, you've just said that if I was the most qualified candidate, there's somebody almost as good as me, but they were female and black, they would get the job based on the fact that they were female and black. You're not looking at the best candidate to do the part of the job. You're looking at the gender and the skin color. That is racism. No, it, it, even if you're not treating them badly based on those things, if you're treating them better based on those things, that is still racism. And now I'm on the other side of it. I'm being treated worse because of my gender and my skin, right? But somehow these social justice warriors have... have troop this thing up like this is the right path you know and i think all this started i think with the the bs and the cancel culture that we're 
that has just like exploded in the last couple of years, I think it all started with political correctness. Oh, absolutely. A long time ago, in a land far, far away, a very famous comedian named George Carlin uh, said, political correctness is political incoherence. Yeah. And there's a lot said in those few words. Uh, but just the word of it, political correctness, I don't understand what they, I don't want to be, political correctness should be serving the people in the best interest of the people, mm-hmm. not the government. Yeah. I don't know how political correctness means to saying I can't make a midget joke, you know. I, I, you know, not that I want to make midget jokes. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. And it's true. You like, know, there's only short term success in midget jokes. Yeah. So, and then there's. It's not just. It's not like you only do midget jokes. You do smoker jokes. You do fat people jokes. Right. Absolutely. You, you do all these jokes, and it's like, okay, well, you know, poking fun at everybody. Um, and yeah, most of my jokes when I tried stand-up comedy many years ago uh, were about myself. They're self-deprecating humor, you know. Yeah. I think a lot of the best comedians are like that. Uh, but, oh, God, no, you see now uh, there are comedians that are, they're not even funny, but they get up there and they just tell social justice warrior type stories. Yeah. And they they become famous. I'm like, ugh. Yeah. It's not even comedy. No. Comedy's supposed to be a, a, a respite from reality. It's like a movie or a TV show. Yeah, exactly. Or a song. You know, it's supposed to take you out of it, make fun of the bad things in your life, make you laugh at them, make you less scared of them, and you move on. Yeah. That's humor, people. Things that you kind of think in your head, but you know would be inappropriate to say out loud, comedy allows you to do that, right? Like you, you can do it and you yeah. can laugh in that setting. Now, out in the grocery store, you wouldn't do that because that would be rude. But 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 comedy has to be a little bit like that to be funny, you know? Another famous late comedian uh, that screamed a lot, he made his entire comedy career about no longer being a minister and hating his ex-wife. Yeah, it's it's crazy now, you know. Um, like, so do you know what hoarfrost is? Have you heard that term? No. Basically, you know, when you get frost in the morning and you know a barbed wire, and you have those little crystal structures that form on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's called hoarfrost, or at least when I grew up, it was called hoarfrost. And then I remember when I was in school, I think it was a sixth grade. They said, "Okay, uh, what's this picture of the rhyme frost?" And I'm like, what do you mean the rhyme frost? I said, well, this here. I said, that's horror frost. They said, no, we're not allowed to call it that anymore. I was like, why not? I said, because it's politically incorrect. <laughs> so <laughs> to protect prostitutes, we have to rename something that we've always known. <laughs> like, and I, rem- I remember that was my first experience with political correctness. It wasn't even racial based. It's like, well, there's people that, you know, they work in this, they have no choice but to work in this industry and it's kind of degrading industry and they don't like this to be called hoarfrost because it degrades them as people. Well, then stop selling your body. Come on. You know, like, I remember that grade six and, and you know, it's, oh, the rhyme frost. And even now they'll be like, oh, the rhyme frost looks beautiful. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Hoarfrost. <laughs> so, sorry. You know, oh. It doesn't even have anything to do with. Uh, the history of that term, it's not even spelled the same. No. 
And, it's a German term. And it has nothing to do with prostitutes. As a poet, God, people. as a poet and a songwriter, you're saying rhyme frost. That offends me. So you need a different name now. Because I think rhyming is very important and it's just not something that grows on barbed wire. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> people say, oh, don't say, call someone retarded, right? Like, okay. You say, yeah, that's a lame joke. Okay, now you're making fun of people that can't walk properly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't say a single thing without offending somebody nowadays. It's like, my goodness. Oh, no, you can get up and talk about white males all you want. Yeah, I know. The white and toxic masculinity. It's probably a good, good spot to end the episode there, hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good build up for Christmas. So I guess, you know what, for all those folks listening, we, we do appreciate your listening. Uh, we're going to do our level best to get this out for this Christmas. And if that does happen, we can actually wish you a very Merry Christmas, uh, a happy Hanukkah, you know, if that's your thing too. But if Christmas is it, great. If Yeah, I hope you have a wonderful season. And uh, Todd, what do you there, got? There, any big there plans? was a Jesus, so I'll say Merry Christmas. <laughs> yep, right on. Anyways, we thank you so much for listening and uh, putting up with us. Hopefully we can get these out here soon. And uh, is this our longest episode? I'm showing here like the complete recording, inc- including our little blip to do, which I'm just going to leave in there. We're like an hour and 53 minutes. Yes. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Man. I, mean, I really enjoyed it. I missed it the last two weeks. Yeah, me too. Me too. That's it's been. I've been too numb to miss anything. But now I'm like, oh, I was really looking forward to this this morning. So thank you for your time. It's always great chatting with you, Todd. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you, Jeremy. All right. Well, we will see you on the next episode, guys. And we hope you have a wonderful time with your family and friends and that you eat too much food. We'll catch you on the next one.